So you know it's like fantastic? A lot of us are like live streaming at the same time as we're here. You know, you got Facebook on your phone or whatever, and there's like a four second lag. And so I can hear that video playing on someone's phone right now. I don't know if you can as well. It's so like weird. Guys, God sends waves of opportunity, doesn't he? We've been talking about this for three or four weeks now. God sends waves of opportunity. He sends them to churches like Fellowship of Faith, and we're in the midst of experiencing one of these waves right now. But God also sends you waves of opportunity. And what he does is he invites you to ride those waves because God wants you to partner with him. God could do it by himself. Why doesn't he? I don't know. God could do it better than you could. So why doesn't he choose to? I don't know. But he doesn't. He does something very different instead. He says, I want you to be a part of this. Meaning, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing here in this world. From, from the smallest, most intimate things to the largest, most earth-shaking movements, God wants you to be a part. And within that, he'll have a role for each of you to play. Each and every one of you. And he'll send you these opportunities these opportunities and what he invites you to do is to ride them. Now, I want to walk you through two things today. This is going to kind of be a two-parter here. I want to talk briefly about the first wave campaign happening here at Fellowship of Faith, this opportunity that we as a body have been sensing God sending us. But then from there, I want to use that as an analogy to shift to the opportunities that I don't know that are happening in each of your lives. But hopefully by talking through this, you'll be able to better see and perceive and understand and ride. So let's talk first wave here. For several weeks now, we've been talking about this campaign we're calling First Wave. First Wave because we see it as one wave of a series of waves to come that revolve around expansion on this campus. You know it, we've been out of space for a long time. And it's not just simply worship space, it's children's ministry space, student ministry space, office space and classroom space, storage space. It's, it's been like this for a while. And you know that if you've been with us, that we've been looking at various ways of expanding our footprint here. Uh, major building expansion that had large price tags attached to it. And none of us feeling fully settled on a step or a wave of that magnitude at this point. But instead looking to ride smaller sets first so that momentum will build. And I just want to give you an update this morning on how this first wave is playing out. We are neck deep in conversations with our architect and plans are just about finished. We are in active conversation with permitting and everything is looking good. We are in active conversation with our construction manager and hopefully you'll start to see a lot of dust gathering around this place by the end of the month. A couple of weeks ago, we launched the pledge campaign to help fund this because it was important to us here going, we just don't want to take out debt. It seems like it's the American way. Buy now, pay later. 
Inevitably, what we do is we give our next generation an inheritance of our joys, our wants, and our needs. We've been really trying to do it differently here. How do we come together as a congregation to say, remember the days when you could pay cash? What if we come together and just pay this thing no longer feeling burdened by it going out into the future, no longer giving a negative inheritance to the next generation of people that will call Fellowship of Faith home. And so on your chairs or on your tables, you'll find this card. And what we're just asking you to do is search your heart on this and wrestle with God on what maybe you can give to bless the next generation. We're hoping that we get all these by next week so that we have a sense of what we have to do in terms of a bank, be it a short-term construction loan while pledges come in, or something more long-term, if that's the case that might be. So if you haven't yet, this is just my big encouragement. Pray about this, bring this home. Wrestle with what you can do in this. This is a six-month campaign between now and January 31st of 2021. What can you give to help make this happen. So far, we've had about 32 different giving units step forward. A giving unit could be defined as a family, if you will, with nearly $60,000 in pledges already made. It is a really good start, but here we are now as the wave is cresting today and next week. Let's bring this home and ride it at the height. And so we just encourage you, and you could drop these in buckets or email them in or send them to firstwave at fellowshipoffaith.org. It's all pretty self-explanatory. And I'd love to talk with each of you if you'd like more info on that. Now, I want to take that and I want to talk about a side of it that I think rarely gets talked about in times like these. And I want to use that as a way to also bring it into the waves of opportunity in your life. And what I want to talk to you today is about the spiritual side of surfing. When God sends these waves of opportunity, they will often seem like very pragmatic, practical things that need to be done. And yet, lacing those pragmatic, practical things is a deep, vibrant, spiritual side. And I want to talk to you about the dark side of that spiritual aspect of surfing. Because when waves of opportunity come your way, that God is orchestrating and raising and sending, you know, the biggest challenges you will face will not be things like this. Do I have enough money? Am I properly prepared? Do I have the right skill set? Did we get all the plannings right? Is my equipment or my board good enough for these waves? Those are challenges to be sure, and those need to be devoted to and worked on. But the bigger challenge is not those things. It is that there is one who is actively trying to push you off the board. Because the devil does not want you surfing. The devil does not want you riding these waves of opportunity that God will send you. And any time you begin to actually surf it, 
you can expect this. You will be met with resistance and with attack because there is one who does not want you on that board. And if it wasn't hard enough to surf as it is, imagine how hard it is when there is one looking to come up alongside of you and expect that. It is an inevitability. I don't think I'm explaining something right now that you haven't experienced or that you don't know. Think about these things. I so want to do a show of hands on this, but who here has ever engaged in a quest to lose weight or get in shape, right? All right, like 98% of you, yeah, yeah. Have you noticed that whenever you make a mental resolution to do it, like it goes beyond the casual, oh, yeah, I should do that someday, like you're actually going to do it, that it almost feels like there's something actively trying to stop you from doing it. You go on this quest, and for reasons that are unknown, things start to pop up in your schedule that were never there, that interfere with when you were going to block out your workout times. Things start to happen in your landscape where food that you have determined not to eat becomes more prevalent and you find yourselves in social situations in a greater propensity than you were before. Well, we're here and I can't get away from it. We're invited over and I can't be rude. I... You've noticed how this happens, right? Have you ever had this happen in a devotional life? Again, I would like to do this by a show of hands, but who here has ever devoted to say, I am going to spend more regular, intentional time with God? I'm going to do kind of like this daily devotional thing where I've let it get away from me, but I am going to lock in, be it every day, every other day, I'm going to carve out that five-minute or ten-minute time. You've been here, right? And have you noticed that whenever you do, all hell breaks loose? You know, your kids are more needy than they've ever been. Work is more interfering than it's ever been. As soon as you sit down at 10 a.m. when you said you're going to do it, the phone starts ringing, and your phone hasn't rung for like 96 hours. You know what I mean? And if you have a discerning eye, it will almost feel deliberate, intentional, and I want to submit to you that oftentimes it is. See, I believe in spiritual forces at work in this world. I believe there is a God who is spiritual and that he is personal and real and good and that God is active in your life and God is operating in your life and God is present in this world in which we live both orchestrating and guiding and leading and creating opportunity. I believe in that. But I also believe that there are dark powers at work. And this isn't to say that anytime someone sneezes, I believe it's the devil coming out of him. Don't get weird on me. But see, I believe the message of the Bible. And I believe that Jesus' way of looking at the world is true, and when Jesus looked at the world, he saw a world 
beyond the world, behind the world, underneath the world, if I can put it that way, that isn't as apparent to our five senses, but a world where there are spiritual forces and powers at play of God and of the devil interacting and interfering with you. If you try to surf a wave of God, you will invite spiritual resistance and even attack. But I found that knowing that and discerning that and recognizing that can make all the difference in the world. When the disillusioned, crushed spirit begins to set in because you're like, why can't I just ride this wave? I love how John Eldridge writes about this. He describes three ways that the devil will often go about resisting and attacking. And he describes it as bribery, intimidation, and compromise. Because see, the devil is not going to appear and actually forcibly push you off the board. The Bible seems to indicate that he's chained, he's leashed, that God prevents him from the kind of onslaught, full-out attack that we might assume from Hollywood or a spiritual force to have. No, he's far more subtle than that. What he seeks to do is allure, deter, bring you off path. Instead, John Eldridge will talk about it in three ways. He'll talk about how he will come and try to bribe you. He will try to intimidate you. He will try to bring you to a place of compromise. Let me just explain briefly how all of these can play out. And again, I will circle back to our first wave campaign here at Fellowship of Faith. How might the devil go about bribing you in a time like this? Well, let me describe two ways. One way can be this. That as church leaders in a congregation come together and, and pitch it and we all come and we pray through it and we say, this is good to, to do. Then when it comes to time to you know, fill out one of these, you kind of start doing this. Well, what's in it for me? What will I get out of it? How will this make my life better? And hopes and promises of things will arise that are all about me. And it suddenly starts to entice me to do something with it. It might also look like this. How do you get bribed away? You get a card like this, and you think about filling it out, but if I put that number here, it doesn't mean I can use that number there. And I don't like that, because if I use it here, I can't use it there. If I use it here, what about that vacation? What about that savings? What about that opportunity? What about that new computer or TV? We all wrestle with this, don't we? Think about the waves that God sends you in your life. 
and you see them, you know they're good, and you're convinced they're of God, and you know that if you give to this, whatever that might be, the world's going to be blessed. But we sit there, we don't we? We wrestle inside, feeling allured away, bribed, if you will, to not ride the wave, but invest our energy here. Let me go back to examples. How many of us have committed even to something like our family needs to start going to church again? But as soon as we make that commitment, we start getting enticed because suddenly the family wants to do an extended getaway. Suddenly, I've got some great weather dished up and I can really get ahead of this project that I need to get on. Suddenly, a thousand other things come in that entice the soul. Do you see how the devil works? Make no mistake, this is spiritual attack. Any time, any time your heart starts being lured away to things other than the the wave God is calling you to ride, you can identify that as a spiritual attack it in. It often doesn't look crazy and outlandish and sensational. I think that's why it's all the more deadly. Subtle and deceiving in sinister, the devil will try to bribe you and allure you from that which God is inviting you to ride. But I found something. I found that when it becomes clear that you cannot be bribed that you have stood your ground with resolve and said, no, no, I won't be allured away from the wave God is calling me to arrive. He'll change tactics on you and try something else instead. And this is where intimidation comes in, where he will try to stand you down, to back you into a corner, to make you feel like you're standing alone, exposed, vulnerable, weak. To feel like if you were to go through with this, it is going to hurt and you are going to pay. And the what-if scenarios start taking play. Well, what if I do this then? What if this happens then? What if he attacks me then? And worst case scenarios start to play out. This is the devil trying to intimidate. Trying to back you down into a corner. But you know what I found? That the devil's bark is worse than his bite. I love how Revelation 20 describes the reality of this age in which we live. Talking about that great dragon, that Satan, the devil who leads the world astray, chained. He might be a vicious dog, but he's chained. He's on a leash. 
You ever had those moments where you walk by and someone's got like that 130-pound Rottweiler out in their front yard and there's no fence and you can't see anything and you've got to kind of walk by on the sidewalk and you see him and he sees you and he knows that you see him seeing you and you have that moment. We've been there, haven't we? And you have that moment where you're like, you know, that, that cautious walk going by. Sometimes we just go the other side of the street, don't we? But even there, you have the moment going, dogs can cross streets. <laughs> Wondering, do I just go back to my car? Intimidated from going forward to the destination you are called to. But have you ever had that moment then? When he started snarling, and drooling, and barking, and spitting, and that guttural kind of growl starts to come up in the throat, and the teeth start to bear. You know, this is getting real. And then you notice the sign, underground fence. What does that do to your demeanor? Now, if you're like me, it doesn't make the fear go completely away because I don't trust those things 100%. But I'll tell you this. I've never been burned by one. God's given you a sign. He said it. The dog is leashed. And it's hard to trust that 100% because it looks so real. It feels so real, and the threat is so imminent, and you know it will hurt, and it will cost you. But God says, trust the sign. Because all he can do is intimidate you. Try to stare you down and scare you from proceeding. I have found so often the devil will seek to attack those times in your life when you know that what you are doing is right. But you're afraid to do it. That when you're convicted in your heart that I need to go this way while everyone else is going that way and it's uncomfortable inside. Those moments, you know them. When in the quiet places of your home at night, you're devoted to the truth, but then when you're out there and everything feels different, you are so tempted to turn when you try to ride a wave of God, the waves of opportunity that he is setting you. Intimidation will set in. And know it for it is. Identify it for what it is. The resistance and the attack of the devil. But you know what I found in spiritual warfare? You know what I found with the devil? Just like I found with any bully, because that's what he is. When he tries to bribe you, ask for the protection money, you know what I mean? And sees it won't work, and then tries to intimidate you, but you stand up to him, he pulls one more weapon out of the arsenal. Compromise. He'll try to get you to compromise with him. 
This one's especially subtle. Because compromise is actually a good thing. It's not talked about that way anymore. In fact, many Christians will speak of their refusal to compromise as a virtue. But in many things of life, compromise is a wonder, wonderful, beautiful, God-honoring thing. When it comes to people trying to live in harmony with each other, at peace with one another, with kindness and compassion towards one another and with sensitivity towards another person's struggles and values and no what makes this subtle is because that is such a good and beautiful thing the devil will seek to get you to compromise on those aspects where you should not and there are things where you should not convictions of god convictions of god that are so true of him not just because it feels true, not just because you want it, but there are these moments where God is calling you and well-meaning people, even Christians, will try to talk you out of it. We'll try to help you see how crazy it is or foolish it is or unpopular it might be. Try to show you how it might mean that you'll be doing it all alone and taking on a burden. I'm not talking about sin issues here. I'm talking about these moments of conviction where God has been showing and confirming so clearly a call that he has on your life. And you'll find this willingness to compromise, to only go halfway. Do you know where halfway gets you? Not there. And God is calling you there. He's not calling you 10% of the way there. He's not calling you 80% of the way. No, he's calling you to get there. And how we sell short the work and movement of power of God when we compromise the vision, the conviction, and the call that He's sending your way. Expect these attacks in your life. It has been the way of Christ and the way of Christians since the beginning. I think of Jesus' temptation. Remember this story? You could read it in Matthew 4 or Luke 4. It's beautiful. It makes it easy to remember. If you want to be crazy today, take a few minutes, maybe two, and read Matthew 4. If you want to be really crazy, read Matthew 4 and Luke 4. Read the temptation of Jesus. What are the things the devil does? He takes Jesus up to a high mountain and shows him the kingdoms of the world that belong to Satan. He says, if you just bow down and worship me, all this 
will be yours. He's bribing him. Look at what I can give you. Look at what I can do for you. Look at what you will enjoy. Look at what you can avoid. All of it is yours for a simple bending of the knee. All this is yours if you follow and fall and worship me. He will try to bribe you. What does the devil do? Jesus is hungry. He didn't eat for 40 days, the text says. I would die. The devil appears and he comes alongside of him and he goes, just turn some stones into bread. What's the big deal? There's plenty of rocks to go around. What's the big deal? You can do it. You have the power. You have the ability. What's the big deal? The big deal is God was calling Jesus to a different path. Just compromise a bit. You can still kind of go that way. Give lip service to that way. Just turn some stones to bread. Think about Jesus' temptation. He tells his disciples with the clarity of language that he has not shared with them yet, I need to go to Jerusalem to suffer and to die, to be handed over to the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, to suffer under their hands, to be persecuted and crucified, and three days later be risen again. And what does Peter do in front of them all? He tries to talk him down. Not so, Lord, you won't do it, Lord. He rebukes him and tries to make a fool of him. He tries to make him appear outlandish and stupid for this idea. He tries to intimidate him by the pressure of a crowd. And what does Jesus do? Get behind me, Satan, because that's what he is. The most well-meaning of people can be Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God. He will bribe, intimidate, and invite you to compromise. The scriptures invite you to something else instead. Let me read this passage to you today. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So put on God's full armor so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Have you heard a word popping up in there again and again? If not, go back and read it. It's Ephesians chapter 6. Stand. 
Stand. Stand against intimidation. Stand against the compromise of God's call. Stand against those things that seek to entice you and bribe you to a different way. Stand, because the scriptures say throughout that he will flee from you. Maybe not in a moment. Maybe not in a day. But keep taking your stand and you will prevail. And God's mighty power available to you. Walking with God, riding his waves, seizing his opportunities, it is spiritual. And it will invite spiritual resistance and attack. That's why any wave needs to be saturated in prayer, marked by perseverance, determination, and discernment. Do that, and you might just surf the opportunity God is sending you. So, Ben, come on up. Everyone else, let's pray. I want to invite you to rise. scriptures invite us to seek God, to seek him in prayer. I love Gwen's illustration, how we pray and it often doesn't happen in an instant, but we keep praying and praying and God is working below the scenes. Pray with perseverance today. Have you given up? Renew and pray again. Have you watered down? Revitalize your prayer language today. Seek God in this way for, Alpha, for fellowship of faith and, and in his way for you. God, we come. We come as those who have compromised our decisions and so corrupted our will. We come as those who have been intimidated and have become cowards. We come to you as those who have been bribed, allured, and enticed and have chosen the flesh over the things of you. Forgive us, we pray. Let's start here. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for not standing against temptation. Forgive us for not resisting the evil one. Forgive us for selling short your call on our lives. Forgive us for throwing away the chances and the opportunities to work with you and serve you and participate in your work 
in this world. And God, the work you're seeking to do in us individually, forgive us, God. By the blood of your son, Jesus, may we stand. Stand triumphant, not in our own strength, but in your mighty power. Stand, God, not in our own goodness, but in your righteousness. Stand, God, not because we are able by our strength, but by your spirit instead. I pray for the person here today, Lord, who's being tempted right now to give up. Renew, God, that call and conviction in their heart. I pray, God, for the person who is being backed down. Help them to see that you are working more power in them than they could possibly imagine. I pray for the person here today who keeps throwing it away with half measures. That, Lord, it would, Lord, it would burn in their hearts. You'd give them the vision and eyes to see the fullness of what you're calling them to. And to pledge themselves to you in that. I pray for the person here so in love with the things of this world, so devoted to them. Lord, that they would be captured by you instead. We need you in this, God. We need this as a church. We need this personally. 